For your investment and financial planning needs, Ross and Ryland DeLavoy of MidAmerica Securities Management are here to help. You can find Ross and Ryland at the Chauncey Building in downtown Iowa City. They can also be found online at midamericasecurities.com or by calling 319-337-9842 for more information. Securities and advisory services offered through Nations Financial Group, member FINRA slash SIPC, a registered investment advisor. So for our first edition of Arts News, we want to talk about a movement that is known as hashtag the show must be paused. Uh, it was started by two young black women, Brianna Ajamain and Jamila Thomas, who both hold executive positions within the music industry. Uh, after the killing of George Floyd, they witnessed the upset, the outcry, the protests, and they were talking to each other and they decided that they couldn't go on with their jobs, business as usual, just truck along. They they wanted to take a day to pause and reflect and sort of grapple with what's going on in the world and not just in the world, but within the music industry itself. Uh, so they got to thinking and they uh, decided that maybe this movement could be bigger than than just themselves. So they started calling their peers, their friends, and their friends started calling their friends. It was decided that on June 2nd, the music industry would shut down and take a day to host workshops and have discussions and look internally at the uh, injustices, the race, racial injustices that take place within the music industry and, and how uh, racial injustice has, has shaped what the music industry is today. And, you know, if, if you look and you think about it, there uh, were a lot of major uh, music entities on board for this. The three largest music labels, UMG, Sony, Warner, uh, streaming services, Apple, radio stations, um, and then, you know, huge A-list musicians like Billie Eilish, uh, Quincy Jones, and the Rolling Stones. They they all took part in this, and the whole the whole movement sort of went viral in a way that wasn't expected and maybe wasn't so productive where that's the hashtag blackout Tuesday where people started posting those black square images on their social media. That was supposed to be something that was just for the people in the music industry and it sort of got out of hand. But at the end of the day, um, there was a lot of good that came out of what happened. There were a lot of conversations that happened in the music industry on June 2nd, and there were pledges made to continue the conversation. And actually, if if you're wanting to follow up with how uh, active in, activism and leadership is going to proceed uh, in the music industry, check out the Black Music Action Coalition. It was created in alliance with the hashtag the show must be paused movement. It's already gaining a, a lot of steam and rapport 
uh, among the music industry. And the the goal as of now is to meet with CEOs to make action plans regarding the disparities between how black artists are recruited, advanced, and compensated, and to see that dollars are being put aside to make right by the black community that's been exploited uh, in music for so long. Um, and also beyond that, you know, artists and executives are, are taking their own approach. Like one particularly that I've noticed that a friend sent me is that uh, Jeff Tweedy uh, has committed to donating 5% of all of his artist royalties to black justice organizations. So people are taking this and putting their own spin on it. And uh, it's it's great to see that something was to come of the, of this movement and the suggestion that just taking... It's important to take time out of the week, out of a busy, competitive, workaholic industry to look internally and do some reflecting. So that's a cool thing to think about. Maybe you could organize something similar in your workplace. That's Art News. Okay, so we're joined today by Brian Johannesson. Uh, He's an Americana musician based in Iowa City, and he is the founder of Dead Coast Presents. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ellie. So firstly, could you tell us uh, what Dead Coast Presents is and uh, what you've been up to with that project recently? Dead Coast Presents, I started when I moved back to Iowa City from Nashville, in i don't know 2016 i think i came back from nashville where i really had like had an education and learned a lot about singer songwriters and learned met a ton of amazing singer songwriters who if you get them in a room where it's quiet and people are paying attention they will just like blow your mind Mm -hmm. and um that's a hard thing to do anywhere. And at the time Iowa city had some spaces that would work for it, but nobody was really like focusing on a listening room type environment. Mm. And so I just thought I'm going to start doing a thing where I bring songwriters through town that maybe people don't have never heard of, but I'm going to put them in a position where they're in a room and whether it's like four or 50 people in there, they're going to be quiet and listen. And I think Mm. that's something that I love as a musician. That's something that I'm always looking for when I'm booking a tour and it doesn't really matter how many people are in the room. As long as they're listening, like we can have a great time and, and like the art can do what it's supposed to do. And so I just wanted to create that environment in this town. And so initially I just, I got together with Katie at Trumpet Blossom and I was like, I'm back. Um, I would just, I wanted to do a monthly show like the first Thursday of every month, just do a dead coast show that I, I played every single one um, as an, in an effort to like bring some people out for these musicians who nobody's ever heard of. And then I would book two, two songwriters on each one. That's a really hard thing to maintain (laughs) once a month, especially with a fixed day. (laughs) So like the tour had to line up. So they came like the first Thursday of the month. Otherwise it like wouldn't work. So I kind of scrapped that idea after about, I think we did like six or seven of those and then just started booking shows 
that were listening room shows at mostly at Trumpet Blossom um, and whenever they would come through and just calling them Dead Coast Presents shows. So that's kind of how it started. Um, obviously not doing a whole lot of that right now. Actually, the last thing I mm-hmm. did in public was a Dead Coast Presents show at the Trumpet Blossom. We had Dave King and Julian Lodge played there on March 13th. So you released your second full-length album earlier this year. Mm-hmm. What has that experience been like given? Were you able to like tour at all or how did um, that play out? It's been mixed. Yeah. The timing of it. So it was supposed to come out last spring and then it was supposed to come out in the fall and I just kept pushing it back um, because I wanted to do it right. You know, I think a lot of us sometimes are like, I recorded this thing. I just want to get it out and then, you know, maybe rush the mastering process and then just to make mm-hmm. an arbitrary date that you set in your mind, you know, and, and all of that. So I kept pushing it back and I was actually really pleased. It came out January 31st. So it kind of felt like the perfect time because it's after the holidays and after people had recovered from the holidays and like are just starting to maybe start going out and it's a very like winter sounding record or winter spring sounding record to me. So it was kind of like the right time to just put it out. There wasn't a whole lot else going on. Um, And the release shows went really, really well. We played at the mill RIP Um, and then in Chicago that release weekend. And then I did a, a few dates with middle Western. I opened for middle Western for a couple of dates the next weekend. And that was it. That's all I've played on it. And so um, I had a lot of good stuff booked for the spring and summer. Like yeah. I was really excited about it. I was playing some festivals and playing like this awesome show in New York. And um, mm. like, it felt like the wheels were rolling for the first time in a while. And then it just like right before it started, just got cut off, you know? Yeah. Um, which is a huge bummer. I mean, is it, it like, if I'm going to be selfish about it, like it's a, this is like a horrible time for this to happen <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I've been trying to see it as time to do stuff that I never have time to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I started my own like podcast webcast thing with my friend, Ryan Anderson, who produced the last both of my solo records and we just like talk to people in the music business every sunday at four o'clock on facebook live and uh put it up on youtube afterwards and just like talk about how crazy everything is for (laughs) musicians right now or or for managers or agents or whatever so it's been cool because we've talked about doing some sort of podcast or something that talks about the music business but it was just like we don't want to do just like a a podcast that doesn't have direction or or really a reason other than we Mm -hmm. want to talk about the music business. And now like that we have this pandemic that is ruining everything about the music business. It's like the perfect time to be like, (laughs) how has your life been ruined? Um, There's a way to find a silver lining. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, like the focus we try to always get to like, in what ways can we have this pandemic 
change our business for the better. So in what ways can we restructure everything on the other side of this? Um, So it's not so, so the, I mean, I think everybody knows that the music business has been like broken for decades and it's getting worse in the sense of like, it's getting harder to make money Mm -hmm. um, and make a living doing it. Um, And so a lot of our discussions are around like, what's a positive thing that's going to come out of this. And so like a lot of people think that this might break up the big agencies or might break up live nation, you know, uh, and everything will get more localized and more independent and more, um, you know, people who less of a machine is, is hopefully how this turns out is kind of the big takeaway mm. so far. Is I was that, just rambling. I don't even remember what your question was. Do you, do you No, I liked where this is going. Do you, do you think that's what's going to happen? Cause I sort of, I haven't been as up to date on my arts music business news, but you know, I was sort of afraid it would be going in the opposite direction where, you know, small venues are. It could. I mean, it, if the, if, I mean, the, the, the scary stuff is, you know, if, the independent venues in this country don't get some sort of federal assistance up to 90% of them will close. If this drags on for six months, which it will, you know, there's, we're not getting out of here in three months in any way. Um, so yes, there will be a lot of closures, but I think it'll provide a lot of opportunity to build the venues or restructure the venues in a way that we want them to look. Um, so that's one side of it. I don't yeah. think, I mean, did you see the live nation news this week? So live nation released their new, what's it called? Um, like their terms of mm-hmm. contracts with artists in the pandemic world. And they are crazy. I mean, in my opinion, it's absolutely insane. It puts all of the risk on the artist. So if you are an artist and you cancel a show with Live yeah. Nation, you are theoretically, you're going to have to pay them double what your guarantee was. So if you got booked for $10,000 to play a show with Live Nation and you cancel, you owe them $20,000, which is insane. Um, if Live Nation cancels the show, you only get paid 25% of your guarantee. Um just some crazy stuff. And to me, that's like a, a flag. Right. And that's saying, Oh, live nation's not doing great. Like yeah. they're, they are trying to figure out a way that they can continue to do this. And I hope hmm. that it, that a combination of that and artists being like, I'm not signing on to this. I'm not going to agree to these terms will result in, maybe live nation splitting up into multiple companies, you know, Mm. as they continue to lay people off, as people continue to get laid off in this, that they're going to start forming their own boutique promotion companies and agencies and management companies Mm. with a bit more, um, personal touch. So rather than the corporate machine of live nation is going to buy your tour for $2 million and, we're going to play 30 dates and we don't care if Kansas city doesn't do well because New York's going to do great. And it's like a big, you know, 
Yeah. Something where like every show matters, every artist matters, what they want matters, you know, just kind of shrinking it down. So that's, that's what I'm hopeful for, but it could go the other way. Uh, It could go that at the end of this, there's one promotion company and one agency and we're all told what we're supposed to like. Seems like they're like two apocalyptic options. One is the monopoly is even more of a monopoly or B Mm -hmm. it all just gets so destroyed that we, we build it back up the way we want it to be built. That's yeah. I mean, it is, it, 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 it's not, will it be destroyed? It's being destroyed right now and it's going to have to be rebuilt in some way. So how is it rebuilt is the question. Okay. And I hope it's local, regional, boutique. I hope it just gets super independent and and we have just like a, a wealth of, because so much art is being created right now that doesn't have a space to be debuted or yeah. put out in the public. So hopefully at the other end of this, there's just like a renaissance of quarantine art and a bunch of small companies to, to promote it. That's my dream for totally. the future. Totally. My, my partner and I were talking about it a little bit and I'm, I'm hoping that just with, um, everyone so fiending being, not being able to go to shows, not being able to see the artists they love that when the time comes, people will be so excited and so ready for the community and shows to come back. That'll just, it'll, there'll be so much strength that I don't know. It'll be more positive. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope that the, the, the attitude has changed. I don't know. Last, last Sunday, not yesterday, but I don't know when this is going to come out, but a couple weeks or last week, the New York times Sunday magazine put in there a, a very flawed poll, but it was a poll that showed the top five most essential jobs and the top five least essential jobs. And the top five essential jobs were obvious. It was, you know, doctors, nurses, yeah, stuff that obviously is very essential. People who work in grocery stores and hawkers, for whatever reason, people who just like hawk goods and sell goods was one of them. But the number one least essential job was artist. And number two was telemarketer. So <laughs> they thought telemarketers were more important than artists. And I think, and my initial reaction was, what have you been doing in quarantine? You've been watching TV and reading books and listening to music. Like, what do you, who do you think makes this stuff? Mm -hmm. And why don't you, why do you, you clearly value the art, right? So you're, you're, you have a subscription to Netflix. You have a subscription to Spotify or Apple music you don't mind giving them the money and they are seen as an essential service, but not mm. the people who make the art. And so I'm hoping that as we are all forced to stay home and probably engage with art from home in a way that we never have before, it will translate into a greater appreciation for artists and, uh, and places that present art and higher attendance numbers and all that. I hope so. Yeah. But, who knows when that'll be and how that'll look, but yeah. The revolution is nigh. It's here. But this was all, I guess I'll speak on behalf of everyone uh, at the Angler. Um, 
and in our community, we love to hear what you have to say because you're obviously keeping up with what's going on and you've had a lot of experience and I'm, I'm always interested to hear what you have to say about what's going on in music. So thank you. really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's good yeah. talking to you and, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. With a belief in the richness of real life human connections and the ability of words to change the world, the Tuesday Agency is a full service lecture agency exclusively representing a premier group of professional speakers, including Roxanne Gay, Ann Patchett, Liz Fair, and Alison Bechtel. Located in America's first UNESCO city of literature and site of the world-renowned Iowa Writers Workshop, the Tuesday Agency is proud to call Iowa City home and is proud to help support local artists and arts organizations. As an independent speakers agency that has been dedicated to providing audiences with refined spoken messages and education for nearly a decade, the Tuesday Agency believes that the power of shared experiences and the thoughtful dialogue art provides can bring people together. To learn more about the Tuesday Agency and to see their full roster of exclusively represented speakers, visit TuesdayAgency.com. Maeve Clark is an Iowa Cityan who is known for knowing it all. Maeve has recently retired from 35 years of work as a librarian, the latter 28 years spent at the Iowa City Public Library. You may have asked her a question at the second floor help desk, heard her co-hosting the downtown dish, or watched her commandeer the slide whistle at the Iowa City Spelling Bee. Maeve, we are so excited to be hearing from you today, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us. So thank you in return. I'm excited too. Okay, so I want to say, first of all, congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. It's huge. How has retired, retired life been treating you? Uh, what have you been up to? Well, um, when I first retired, I kind of overextended myself in volunteering. I was working <laughs> a bunch as a um, volunteer at Film Scene, which was lots of fun because you get to go to movies too and hang out with the people at Film Sweet. Scene. And then I'm on the board of Friends of Historic Preservation, so I was volunteering at the Salvage Barn, which is a facility we run out by Restore that um, where we sell salvage materials and donated items. So I overdid my... Uh, volunteering. And so I stepped back from volunteering quite as much, which was great because then I was kind of getting into the groove and then the COVID-19 came and then everybody I knew was at home, only they were, <laughs> they were working and yeah. I wasn't and we couldn't get together. So, you know, things have kind of loosened up. I'm still um, pretty cautious when I go outside, but um, I have a group of people I garden with and you can really socially distance when you're gardening. Mm. And then I got a puppy. So that has taken a lot of my time and I'm sure we'll get to meet bingo somehow, some way insert himself <laughs> yeah. into this conversation. I'm curious if you have any instances that stick out to you of, of people asking you weird questions or especially interesting questions while you're at the library. Well, so I've been a librarian for a long time. I still consider myself a librarian and things have really, really, really changed. When I started out in library school, we used to do searches by um, using a, a modem and a dial-in internet connection and then went, you know, kind of like that. And it was so expensive to do that 
to do our searches that we had to write them out on paper in Boolean language so that we didn't waste any time or money. And now everybody has far more capacity in their hand with their cell phone than we did back then. So the kind of questions that I think sparked my interest in a lot of people at work were um, things that had to do with history. The English is an example of how well-preserved an Iowa City building is and the institution and the, the activities that take place there. But my favorite question of recent times is this fellow who came in off the interstate. I'm still kind of amazed at this question. Not so much the question, but how much information I gave the poor guy. Anyway, he came in off the interstate. He He said, I know what corn is, but what's that lower green stuff growing? And I said, oh, those are um, soybeans. And he said, oh, and I said, yeah, it's a big crop in Iowa, soybeans and corn. And then we um, ended up talking about walking beans and detasseling corn and just a ton of stuff about farmland. He was from California. They were driving back from the, the East Coast. Anyway, it was just this great question where I got to spend 20 minutes talking about my, I never, um, detasseled that was far too much work for me I was a lifeguard <laughs> but I had friends yeah. who detasseled. and then there's that great Greg Brown song about um, walking the beans so that was a really fun question and kind of thing that if somebody has the time and the inclination they can learn a lot and whether he you know continues to use his information I don't know but it was fun for me sure I guess I never really thought about Like, I'm a digital native where, like, the Internet's always been around. But before the Internet, like, librarians were, like, the knowledge superheroes. Truly. I mean, in many ways, I grew up with an encyclopedia in my house, the world book. But I think, you know, some kids didn't grow up with books at all. And lots and lots of houses didn't have the encyclopedia. So we used to get called for just information about countries kids used to come to the library in a different fashion and do um homework using Mm. print resources and a reader's guide to periodical literature and we still have lots and lots of people at the library i mean it's even better used year after year because we have books of course that are for entertainment and for education but also the access to computers so if you don't have one at home I think you're really hindered in your ability to, to find information. So the library opens that door to lots and lots of people who wouldn't have it in any other way. And there's little kids who have to consume lots and lots of books and programs. Sure. Do you think that people take the internet and all of its wealth of knowledge for granted? I think particularly people who are, like you said, a, our digital natives because you've never experienced not having the internet. So it's just a part of your life. Older people like me, um, I don't think we take it so much for granted because it's, it's just this amazing tool that we have now and we certainly exploit it, but it's not something that we grew up with. So I think that, that that's a difference between the generations. Sure. Yeah, I I didn't grow up with a a dictionary in the house. I know a lot of people, you know, had had one like lit up, you know, had a little spot. I didn't. I I just I had like Google. I feel like for almost as long as I can remember. 
Yeah, but you read books in print still, yeah. right? Yes, I did. Good. I did. And I was I was a I was a frequenter of our our local library. And actually now the thing in quarantine I miss and wish I had the most is the Iowa City Library. Oh, isn't that great? So fun to hear about your uh history and your career at the library um but now it's time to talk about the best show ever. And this is where okay. you you tell us a story of the best live event in Iowa City that you've ever witnessed. Music, literature reading, lecture. You know, that's, it, that's such a tremendously hard question. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up less, fewer than 30 miles from Iowa City. So as a little kid, we spent a lot of time going coming to Iowa City for all sorts of things. One of my dearest memories of a child is coming to, going to the Iowa Mountaineers funny mountaineers in Iowa would put on travelogues at McBride Hall. And so we'd go and watch people go to exotic places. And my interest in Easter Island was sparked by one of those things. So even as a little kid, I would come to Iowa City to see things and go to plays. And when my dad and my siblings would all go to football games, they would drop me off and I would go to movies at the Englert and the Strand and the Mm. Iowa. So I didn't even go to the football games. I just went to the the movies, but, um, and as a high schooler, we were allowed to go to, as a school, one of the very first performances of the Music Man at Hancher. So the first time that Hancher had a show, we were in that early crowd, which was incredibly wow. exciting. You know, we had a, had a movie theater in Dipton, but a huge stage like that and a, you know, a professional performance of the Music Man was wild. And then as an undergraduate, um, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Ducks Breath, Ducks Breath Mystery mm-hmm. Theater, but it was a, um, a group of University of Iowa theater students and they performed at Gabe's and we used to go to Gabe's. And Gabe's was pretty, yeah. <laughs> Gabe's was <laughs> a cool. pretty cool place. And when I was an undergraduate, the drinking age was 18. So, of course, people started drinking before then. But I remember some of the Duck's Breath Mystery Theater programs as some of the most exciting things that I had ever attended because they were improvisational. And so they had they would do things and then they would get, you know, feedback from the crowd. And it was just super fun and a lot of alcohol. Um, <laughs> so... So that was, a, I mean, a super exciting thing to see live um, skit and um, improv, what's it, um, in live skit and um, improvis- improvisational theater. And those guys were really, really talented and they've gone off to do various things in their, yeah. their lives since then. So that was really fun because the live element is something that, uh, I mean, the energy you get from attending a live performance. So, so, and then I would go to plays at EC. Maybe one of my favorite things to do in the summer is you could buy a summer series and there'd be three plays usually by the same playwright. And a couple of years ago, they stopped doing that, but that was always fun because EC maybe is a much more intimate space. And then there's um, Riverside Theater, which is giving up its building now, but that's even a more intimate space. And I mean, the interactions you have with the thespians at Riverside 
is even more direct because you're so much closer to them. And then when they got to um, build the Globe Theater outside, the Shakespeare in the Park, that was fantastic as well. But I'm trying to think, what's the greatest thing I've ever seen? Hmm. I didn't, I didn't, You've I went seen to some concert. Well, I mean, I've been here for a long, long time. And yeah. the thing about University of Iowa is that a Cantor had tickets available for very low prices and bars had bands, which I didn't really like to go to because there were too many people, but I did go to some pretty good concerts at the, at Hancher. I think I probably went to some at the um, field house. And then there were just folk groups like at the mill that were wonderful. A thing I discovered fairly recently was um, an attorney in town who's Welsh, who did, does a live performance of a, a child's Christmas in Wales, where he reads from Dylan Thomas. And it's just, it's marvelous. I think it's that live um, interaction with the audience and the performer or the performers. So you've asked me what's the one best thing I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm obviously hedging my bets here because I'm not telling you <laughs> one thing. I don't know if one thing stands. Out. Another way to look at it too is which, what, what event has, do you feel has had the most profound impact on the way you think or how you feel about art or. Gosh. Oh, I mean, how I, how I, you know, being able to go to the University of Iowa Museum of Art is, was a pretty phenomenal experience. And then fairly recently, I mean, before the big flood, they opened it up on Friday nights and there was a little cafe in there and you could go and um, just absorb the art museum one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, at times there were probably only four or five other people there and it was a, a great experience. I do have an Englert story. So um, I did go to the last time a movie showed at the Englert and it was um, Finding John Malkovich. And the Englert was two different theaters at that time. They just created a wall down the middle of it. And I can't remember, was mm -hmm. it Young Frankenstein on the other side? But you could hear it was not a, a well-made muffled wall. But that was exciting to, <laughs> and sad to go to the last Englert movie at that time. Wow. So you, you have really like got the full spectrum. You saw the first show at Hancher, the last movie at the Englert. Not my you McBride. <laughs> and, you know, there are so many things I didn't do because, I mean, I'm not a big fan of large crowds. So the music venues were never the most exciting things um, for me to, to go to. And there are many people who, if you ask the same question you asked me, asked of me they would give you many concerts probably one fantastic concert that they went to and I think mm -hmm. that's great I mean there's so much for so many different kinds of people and and different likes and different levels of enjoyment yeah that's incredible well I think the fact that it was difficult to choose one thing sort of said everything you know yeah I think um, so too there's been a lot of opportunity here. That's so, that's so interesting to hear. All of the yeah, things we're I wish I'd and when people say a small town. Uh, it, well, Iowa City really is a small town. Wow. Well, it's so fun to hear about everything you've seen. I, this has been such a great 
interview. Well, we could we could probably talk for hours. Yes. Um, but I'd like to wrap it up and say and say thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very uh, welcome. It's been really interesting hearing from you and all the history you've had with this city. So I oh, appreciate you. And that. there's so many other people who've got, you know, great takes on Iowa City. And we're very fortunate yeah. to live here. So thank you for inviting Agreed. me and for doing this. Yeah, of course. This week's song of the week is One More Night, a new release by Iowa City electronic artist and producer Purchase. And that's with a dollar sign as the S, Purchase. To support, check out Purchase on Bandcamp or SoundCloud. Full full beat on the 808, dance floor heat and it's so so light. Everyone's here and dressed to kill. DJ's rocking and he rocks well. Blinded by these laser lights. Buzzing on this weekend night. Baby, when I say I've got to go, let's go finish in my home. with you one more night to act a fool one more morning waking up to you on a beautiful sunday afternoon one more morning to dance with you one more morning to act a fool one more night to kiss you squeeze you love you fight and take shots with you Tell you I live for this Heart beats fast so I still a kiss When we're holding hands I'm making plans Thinking about our next dance Can't call you mine cause you're sublime Partnership is our crime I never knew till I met you The world was colors other than blue One more night to act a fool One more morning waking up to you On a beautiful Sunday afternoon One more morning to dance with you One more morning to act a fool One more night to kiss you, squeeze you, love you Fight and take shots with you with you one more night to act a fool one more morning waking up to you on a beautiful sunday afternoon one more morning to dance with you one more morning to act a fool one more night to kiss you squeeze you love you fight take shots with you one more night to dance with you one more night to act a fool one more morning waking up to you on a beautiful sunday afternoon one more morning to dance with you one more morning to act a fool one more night to kiss you squeeze you love you fight take shots with you
When the Englert needed to renovate its historic theater, Opian architects were there to help. With offices in Iowa City, Des Moines, and Cedar Rapids, and over 40 years of experience under their belt, Opian has earned a reputation for creating smart, beautiful, and expressive spaces all over the Midwest. See their work firsthand at the Englert Theater. Then visit their website at opianarchitects.com to learn more.